You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Mike Corgan. Well, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to please open to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. We're going to be starting in verse 14 this morning. And while you are turning there, uh, I figured uh, it would be a good thing for me to share, to share is that, you know, one thing about all of us that I find amazing is that we gather on Sunday mornings, and as we gather on Sunday mornings, we all come from different experiences, right? We have people that, you know, we have people from that, you know, maybe are, so I'm one of the few in the proud that is native to Sanford, uh, born and raised in Sanford. I know that we're, we're a rare breed, it seems like. Uh, everyone that lives here either moved here uh, from somewhere else, right? But we all, maybe we live from different places. You know, we all have different experiences. Maybe you came from, you know, from a healthy home or a healthy upbringing. Maybe things were difficult for you growing up. We're all a product of different life experiences. But one thing that is for certain, though, is that there are some experiences that we all share. Right, there's some experiences that we all share, and it kind of creates this bond between us. I'll give you an example. One, all of us in this room have a birthday, right? All of us in this room have a birthday. No matter what, no matter what your background was, no matter what your life consisted of up to this point, we all have had a birthday. All of us have experienced that first day of school, right? Whether it was good or bad, maybe you were, you were rolling in with the new clothes, and you were ready for that first day of school. Maybe you dreaded the first day of school. If you're married in the room, maybe we, we kind of, there's a common bond between this idea that, hey, remember my wedding day. Well, one thing that is a common bond that my wife and I share, and I'm sure many of us in this room probably can relate, is that we have a shared experience of this. And maybe, maybe you can relate to this. Is that you're, you're at home, you're a teenager, you're at home, and for me, my mom would call me while she was not home, and she would say, Mike, here's what we're doing for dinner, okay? I'm going to come home, and here's what we're going to have for dinner, and here's what I need you to do. I need you to take, go to the freezer, and there's either frozen chicken or ground beef or whatever it may be. I need you to take it out of the freezer, take the meat out of the freezer, and let it thaw before I get home. Has anyone experienced this before, right? Let it thaw before I get home. So that when I get home, I will be able to make dinner. And me, being her favorite child, (laughs) says, I got it, right? I got it, Mom. Like, no worries. You can count on me. Well, although I may be her favorite, I'm not necessarily always the most attentive. Because fast forward a few hours and... I don't know, whatever I was doing, I was probably, you know, doing something very spiritual during that time. <laughs> but I am, I am alerted by the beep beep from the driveway of her car locking and me realizing I have not set the meat out, right? This, this, <gasps> right? So those 30 seconds between her getting out of her vehicle and her walking through the front door are me frantically running through the house Right, trying to make sure, oh, to grab this meat, and I'll, I'll, I'll run it under hot water, I'll put it in the microwave. Whatever I could do to when she walked in, I'm like, Mom, I don't know. It's just this super meat that doesn't, free, that doesn't thaw. Right? <laughs> Whatever it might be. Right? If, why? Because at the, when I'm alerted that my mom is coming home, I want her to see that I was busy doing what she asked me to do. 
right? When she comes home, I don't want her to come home, see me sitting on the couch playing Xbox, and then she goes to the freezer, and the meat is still in the freezer. And while this is a funny experience that many of us can relate to, I think it also relates heavily to our own personal walks with Christ. That we know that one day, Scripture is clear, that we will give an account of our lives. And what I don't want is I don't want to be frantically running around when I know my days are few, trying to make sure that I'm giving the impression to God that I was busy when I know I wasn't. And that's really paralleled well in this parable of Jesus that he's teaching to his disciples in Matthew 25. So we're going to read verses 14 through 30. It's a bit of a long section of scripture, but I encourage you to stand with me as we read from Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was, mine with, with, what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that which he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. God, as we read from your word, study your word this morning, God, we ask that, uh, that, Father, your word will do what you have set forth to do. That, God, that you would speak to us clearly in this time. And that, God, everything that we say and everything that we do as we leave this place would bring you honor and glory. God, we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So here we have a very interesting text, right? We have a very interesting text before us. Jesus is telling his disciples a parable. Whenever Jesus gives parables, the purpose of these parables was always intended to take something that was very familiar to his audience and use it as a way to to communicate something that was true of the kingdom of God. 
right? So it was always meant to start with something familiar and take them to something that was, that was spiritual or to take them to something that had to do with God's kingdom. That's why many of Jesus' parables would have to do with agriculture and farming because that was something that was very well known by the people of his day. And in this parable, Jesus explains a man, a man that, that is clearly a wealthy man and he goes on a journey. And what he does is before he leaves, he divides up his property, he divides up his estate, he divides up what he has amongst three servants. And while he is gone, these three servants all have a choice to make, right? What do I do with what the master has given me? Two of the servants were, were faithful with what they were given. Two of the servants, the, the passage tells us, immediately went and invested and traded and ended up doubling what they were given. One of them was not so much. And when the master returned, he returned to find what the, his servants had done. And to the two that were faithful, he commended them. And to the one that was unfaithful, he condemned him. Now, here's the thing. When we study parables... We need to remember that they are designed to communicate a singular point, right? The purpose of the parable is to communicate a particular point. And I say this because there's a tendency for us, and even for me as I was pre preparing this message, there's a tendency for us to allegorize everything in the parable. Does that make sense? Everything in the parable, we read it, like, all right, well, what is that? That has to mean this, and this has to mean this. And while many parables and many things within parables have elements that are meant to be symbolic, we need to be careful that we do not get distracted by so many good points that we miss the main point. Does that make sense? And when we read this passage, what we need to do, and when we read Scripture in general, we need not to ask ourselves, what are some good points in this? We need to ask ourselves, what is the main point? What is the main point? And from the surface level, it appears that the main point of this parable is that God has given us all the resources and abilities and if we are faithful with these things, then we will spend eternity with him. And if we are not, we will spend eternity apart from him. And while that appears to be the main point of this text, we need to ask ourselves, does that align with what the rest of Scripture teaches? Does this make sense? Is, all right, what's the main point? Here's what I, it appears the main point is this. Now, does that align with what the rest of Scripture teaches? And the quick answer is no. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. See, the Bible makes it very clear. And what, I, what we need to make sure is very clear this morning is that heaven is not earned by our service. Heaven is not earned by our service. And our eternal standing before God is not based on what we do for him. It's very, very clear. Before we leave this room, you need to know that while today we are talking about the importance of service, we need to understand that our, etern our eternal standing before God is not dependent on what we do for him. Rather, it is all based on what he has done for us. You see, that's what separates Christianity from every religion in the world. Every religion in the world is about man's efforts. It's about what man can do. Islam is you must keep the five pillars. Hinduism, live a good enough life so that you may escape the cycle of reincarnation. Buddhism, while it's not necessarily an afterlife thought, the thought is through meditation, good living, sometimes physical labor, you may receive enlightenment or nirvana. And you can go down the list of the religions of the world and they all have the same thing in common. You do this so that you can get this. 
If we're not careful, we can create a form of Christianity that minimizes the grace of Jesus and loses what makes our faith distinct. But as Christians, we do not do what we do so that God will honor us. We do not do what we do so that we can earn eternity. So clearly, this can't be the point of the parable, right? Clearly, that can't be the point. For us to understand what Jesus is teaching, we need to also understand what he is not teaching. And he is not teaching that our eternity will be determined by our work for him. However, it is clear from this passage that this parable is clearly showing that our service to God is very important. Right? While our eternity is not based on our service, we need to know that our service still is very, very significant. So now we find ourselves in an interesting position, right? We find ourselves in a very interesting position. We have a parable that seems to be teaching one thing, but when we compare it to the rest of Scripture, we know that it can't possibly be teaching that thing. And here's something that is very important for you to know. When you study your Bible, and it appears that something is teaching something that contradicts with something else in the Bible, Right? A lot of times I, I talk, talk with students, and, and, and a lot of times this is a question that they come up, that, that they say, hey, like, what do you do with parts of the Bible that contradict one another? And what you need to know is that if something in the Bible seems to contradict with something else in the Bible, the problem is not with the Bible. The problem is you're misunderstanding either one or both of those passages. Does that make sense? All right? Scripture interprets Scripture. So while it seems like this passage is teaching one thing, and we know it's not, we need to ask ourselves, where do we go from here? Well, we look at the context. We look at the context. Where are we? Verse 14, Jesus says, for it. For it. Maybe depending on whatever translation you have, maybe you have a translation that says, for the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, or for it. But it's interesting, though, that as we read this passage, the first two words, for it, right, it, it's, it's indicating something to us here, right? The word for is what? It's a conjunctive word, right? It's a, it's a word that is meant to connect two ideas. Even in the Greek, in the original Greek here, it's the word gar, which serves the same purpose. So clearly, we need to understand that Jesus is connecting a previous thought to the parable that he is about to give. We, are you with me? We're together? Awesome. So even a casual reading of this text would indicate to us that we are jumping into the middle of a larger teaching. See, we can't read the parable of the talents in a vacuum. We need to understand that it is a part of a much larger teaching that Jesus is giving to his disciples. In fact, it's a much larger teaching that spans over two whole chapters. Chapters 24 and 25 are part of one teaching that Jesus is giving here. And what is that larger teaching? Well... Jesus is actually responding to a question from his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 3. Matthew 24, verse 3 says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? See, Jesus is towards the end of his earthly life. He's towards the end of his earthly ministry. His, we, are, we are quickly approaching the cross. And Jesus has been telling his disciples, foretelling his death, foretelling previously, uh, right before this, foretelling the destruction of the temple, talking about his second coming. And his disciples say, well, when is this second coming going to occur? 
When are you going to return? And when you return, what are some signs that we can look for to know that this is coming? And from here, Jesus teaches his disciples. And the main point of this teaching over these two chapters is this. That no one knows the day or the hour that Christ will return. But we must be ready when he does. We must be ready when he does. Because when he returns, he will not return as a baby in a manger, but as a judge and a king over his people. That's the point. That is the point of this entire teaching over these two chapters, is that no one knows when Christ is returning, but he is returning, and when he returns, he will judge. And to illustrate this point, he gives two parables. The first parable is the parable of the ten virgins, the second parable is the parable of the talents, which we just read. So with this in mind, we need to understand that the parable of the talents is interpreted alongside the parable of the ten virgins. We're rolling with me? All right, I know it's early, I know it's cold, but this is very important, right? This is fun, right? I'm having fun, I don't know about you. At least let me pretend you are, right? Parable of the ten virgins. If you don't remember, it's, there's ten virgins. They're waiting for a bridegroom. Ultimately, what happens is that when the bridegroom returns, five of them are ready, five of them are not. For those that are not, they hear the words that are echoed from Matthew 7, where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And Jesus sums up the point of this parable in verse 13, where he says, Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. In essence, you don't know when he is coming, so you must be ready. But that leads us to this question. What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean for us as a church to be ready for Christ to return? What does it mean for you as an individual to be ready for Christ's return? What does it mean for us or, or for your family or your school or your friends? What does it look like for the Christian to be ready for Christ's return? See, the parable of the talents is seeking to answer this question. The parable of the talents answers the question that the parable of the ten virgins leads us to. What is the evidence that we are ready and that is the question that everyone in this room must ask. Everyone in this room, we have to at some point ask this question. When Christ returns, will he find me ready? Will I be ready? Now, before we even go any further into this passage, I feel that it's very important for me to address something. When we talk about the second coming of Christ, a lot of times we, we think of it with some skepticism or even a lack of urgency. Maybe you're in the room, or maybe you've heard people say, hey, we've been waiting for Jesus to return for 2,000 years. While that may be true, the majority of this room will see him within 50. All of us in this room will see him within the next 100. So whether you die, or he comes to take you, we will all stand before him sooner than we may realize. And the question is, are you ready for that moment? Are you ready for that moment? Whether he comes in glory or he takes you in the stillness of the night, are you ready? And how do you know that you are ready? Great question. With that, we get into the parable. The first thing we see is the master's provision. 
beginning of this parable begins with a man who's going on a journey. Before he leaves, he entrusts his servants with his property, right? He takes his property, he divides it amongst the three of them, and, and this property and this, 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 this thing, that what he's giving them is described as a talent. Now, we need to be very careful that, you know, this, what a talent here is not necessarily meaning like a skill, right? It's not like the master said, all right, you get juggling, right? You get, you know, you get art, and you get singing, and you get drawing, you get being able to ride on a unicycle, um, because I believe that's not something you learn how to do. You either have that or you don't, right? <laughs> unicycle, whatever, right? Like, that's not what he means here. He's not talking about an aptitude or an ability. And how do we know this? Because we, we see here that he gives them their, these talents. What? Verse 14. Let's go look at it. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to what? According to his ability. So what is a talent? Glad you asked. A talent is actually a monetary value. It's an amount of money, but it's not a coin. It's actually a weight. It is a weight and a monetary amount, it's, it is a weight. It's not a skill, it's not a talent, but it is a weight. And it is typically a talent would be the equivalent of about 6,000 denarii, which would take the common laborer about 20 years to make. So one talent is about the equivalent of 20 years' wages. And how many talents does this man give out? Five, two, one, quick math, eight. Right? He gives out eight Talents. This man, before going on a journey, gives 160 years' wages to three servants. Needless to say, that is a lot, right? That is a lot. And whether the master gave you one or five, he gave you a lot. And as the story goes on, we see that these servants invest and they trade with this money, but, and ultimately they double the amount that was given to them. But before we even get to that, we need to understand something here, is that these servants did not do this for their master because their master needed it. Why? What do we see here? This master is clearly wealthy. He just, gave, he just took 160 years' wages, gave it to three servants, and said, hold that, I'll be right back. Does this sound like a man who is in financial stress? No. Does this sound like a man that says, man, I'm really struggling right now. I need my servants to help me out. No. You and I need to understand something this morning. That when it comes to the way that we serve God, our God does not call us to serve him because he needs our help. God does not need anything from you. God does not need anything from me. God does not need anything that we may try to give him. Psalm 50 Verses 10 and 11, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all, the, and all that moves in the field is mine. What can I possibly give God that isn't already his? Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Here's the thing, we do not serve a God who is in need. We do not serve a God who is in need. And meanwhile, while we do not serve God to earn our salvation, we also do not serve God because he needs our service. 
Today we're talking about serving and, and utilizing the resources that God has given us, but we mustn't make the mistake of thinking that I'm tithing because God needs my money. Or I'm sharing the gospel because God needs me to save this person. God doesn't need you to do anything. God doesn't need me to do anything. If God spoke through a donkey, then God doesn't need... See, I mustn't think too highly of myself just because I'm on a platform. God spoke through a donkey. If he wanted to make this pulpit get up and tap dance and preach the word of God to you, he would. And if I'm honest, God could probably get a lot more done if I wasn't constantly getting in the way. But he still invites us to serve him. A perfect example of this is my brother-in-law and my sister, they were building this, I don't even know how you would describe this. It was like a, it was like a playground with slides and stuff like that. That, they, uh, that their, their two twin, three-year-old, or almost four at this point, boys, got for Christmas. And they sent us a video of them putting this thing together. And one thing that is interesting is that there's Carson, who is three and a half, he pulls out this big piece of wood, and you just hear him go, oh! He's like, and his favorite thing right now is big old, big old. Everything is big old, the big old truck, big old son, you know, whatever. He's like, big old piece of wood, right? And they took all day trying to put this thing together. And here's the thing, they probably could have done that a lot quicker without Cameron and Carson getting in the way. So my brother-in-law, Mark, allowing his sons to help him with the construction of that playground had nothing to do with the fact that he needed their help. Rather, it was because he loved his kids. And he allowed them to partake in the joy of being able to help him, and they played a role. That's what our master does. He does not need us, but he still invites us to join him. Second point, we see the master's provision. We see now the servant's response. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So Jesus says that the first two immediately put what they were given to use. Immediately they went out and they put it to use. And they end up doubling their master's money. Isn't that amazing? Right? I mean, think about it. Five talents... 20 years wages each, about 100 years wages, and this man doubles it. That's a lot. That's impressive. This man was extremely productive. But here's the question. How is it that they were so productive? We talk about how we're going to use what God has given us for his glory. We need to ask ourselves, how is it that we can do it in a way that is productive? There's a handful of things we see here. One, they simply use what the master gave them. I think that there's a tendency for a lot of us to greatly overcomplicate what it means to serve God. We tend to greatly overcomplicate what it means to serve God. And I want you to know that if you're a Christian and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to serve God. Everything. Everything. You don't need a degree. Well, those are good. But you don't need a degree to be used of God. You don't need all of these things to be used of God. He has given you what he has given you. And the question is, will you use what he has given? Mind you, talents were actual sums of money. Okay, so we got to remember that. But however, for our understanding this morning, talents can be any resource that God has given you. Your time, your money, your skills, your experience, and so on. Look at your life. Everyone in this room, look at your life. 
and ask yourself this question. What has my Lord entrusted me and how am I using it for his glory? What has the Lord entrusted me with and how am I using that for his glory? Give you a simple example. We have a, a mom, a, a mom of one of our students. And this weekend, she's opening up her home for middle school girls to come over and have a Valentine's party. That is using what God has given you for his glory, right? It's not that complicated. We don't have to make it these grand things. It's, look, God's given me a house. God's given me a house. Use what God has given you. But let's take it a step deeper, right? Let's just not take surface level. Let's go deeper, right? Let's use what God has given you. But how is it that they were able to use what the master had given them? It's because they didn't worry about what the other servants had. They handled what the master had given them. Because what do we see? We see that not all of them got the same amount. One got five. The other got two. The other got one. Focus on what the master had given them. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? Right? David and Goliath, popular story. Big guy, little guy, rock, boom, gone, right? <laughs> David and Goliath, very popular story in the Bible. There's a portion of this story that has always stood out to me, but it can be very easily overlooked. It's 1 Samuel 17, verses 38 and 40. Right, at this point, David has agreed to go and fight Goliath. Then Saul, who was the king at the time, clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, but for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in one hand, and he approached the Philistine. Do you see what happens here? After agreeing to fight Goliath, David is given the king's armor. What an honor, right? What an honor to be given the king's armor. Part of the reason is that the Philistines at the time had a monopoly on, 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 on iron and steel, so they, he, there was only one sword that the people of Israel had, and it was the king's. He was given this armor. He was given all of these things, but he realizes that the armor doesn't fit. David's a small boy. He's a small shepherd boy. Saul is a foot taller than everybody else, and he's a grown man. Right? This doesn't fit. So what does he do? He, he shed off Saul's armor, and he went out with his sling and his stones. Here's the thing. Many of us are seeking to serve God using Saul's armor. You, you tracking with me with this? Amen. God has gifted you the way that he has gifted you. And so many times we get discouraged because the king's armor doesn't fit. Meanwhile, we have a sling and stones that we will not pick up because our confidence is more in the armor than in the God who gave us the sling and the stones. Amen. You see the problem? We do not put our confidence in the gifts we put our confidence in the gift giver. Amen. We see, we determine in our minds, this is what it means to serve God. And anything that doesn't line up with that, well, that's not me. That's not me. We never pick up the sling and the stones because the armor we want doesn't fit. 
Notice what David could have done here, right? What he could have done is he could have gone, well, this doesn't fit. He goes and sits in the corner and says, well, God, if you wanted me to fight Goliath, then you would have let the armor fit. Likewise, the servant with the two talents could have easily said, well, God, if you wanted me to be useful, or, or the master, if you want the master, to, if you want me to be useful, why didn't you give me five talents? I mean, you just gave me two. Why'd you give me two? See, perhaps the reason that you aren't seeing God use you the way that you may think is because you're so focused on what you don't have that you miss what you do have. Everyone in this room has something. Scripture is clear that we are all given gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are all given things, and we are all meant to use those things for His glory. So rather than sitting here focusing on what you wish you had that you don't have, look at what do you have and how can you use it. Well, why is it that they didn't seem to care about the other talents that were given? Why is it that these servants could serve faithfully without worrying about what the other person was given? It's because they understood that what they had wasn't theirs anyway. Wasn't theirs anyway. See, the servant with two talents understood that both he and the servant with five talents were both using borrowed talents. Right? Both were using borrowed talents. You see, every person that was on this stage this morning, the band, they do an awesome job. They, they work really hard. Pastor Josh and, and, the, and the rest of the team, the singers, the musicians, all of them are just using borrowed talents. All of them. Just use, simply using what God has given them. Me standing up here preaching has very little to do with any skill set that I have. Trust me. It has everything to do with the fact that God has just given me an opportunity and my job is to be faithful with it. Be faithful with the resource that God has given me. Notice in this story, though, that the servants did not invest or trade any of their personal money. They only traded and invested what the master gave them. You want to know why? Because they were servants and they didn't have any money. All the money they had was what the master had given them. That's the whole point. Everything that they had was simply the master's. And just know that when it comes to serving God, we bring nothing to the table that he doesn't already have. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. It's God's gifts. We're simply stewards. It's like whenever I... You know, whenever I was a kid and I would go out with my dad early on Christmas and we would buy, we'd do Christmas shopping and we'd go Christmas shopping for my mom. And I would always like, or, or, or even if I would go with my mom to buy something for my dad. And what was interesting was that I would always be like, hey, like, dad, you know, I bought you something, even though I didn't buy something. It was their money, which is interesting, right? My parents gave me money to buy them things. <laughs> I mean, it's their money. Hey, mom, guess what you got yourself, you know? <laughs> it's the same concept. How ridiculous would it have been if I was to take that money that they were given and then go spend it on myself? Because here's the thing. God's resources are meant for God's purposes. When we begin to understand this, we begin to understand that because our gifts and our resources are from God, they are for God. We do not have the right to take what God has given us and use it however we want. Amen. 
See, our problem is that we take things that are about God and we make them about us all the time. But please hear me when I say this, that what God has given you is not about you. What God has given me is not about me. If you have a lot of money, God has given you that money so that you can use it to glorify him. If you have a house, God has given you that house so that you can use it to glorify him. But so often, what do we do? We take the master's money, we run into the marketplace, and we say, look what I have. Look at me. That's not yours. See, I have a beautiful wife, and I have a wonderful daughter that's on the way, right? I have a beautiful wife and a wonderful daughter that's on the way. And God has given me my wonderful wife. He's given me this daughter soon to be for his glory. And as soon as I begin to think that they exist to elevate me, I've missed it. I've missed it. My marriage is meant to glorify God. My daughter's life is meant to glorify God. And before she is mine, she is God's. And for the time being, God has placed her in my hands. And my job is to be a faithful steward. And that is it. Likewise, your kids do not exist to show the world how great of a parent you are. That is not why they exist. They exist to glorify God. Amen. And if they, go, if they get great, good grades, go to great colleges, they're amazing athletes, but they don't know Jesus, missed it. Missed it. I believe that a Christian becomes truly useful when they see the things in their life as tools to glorify God and they serve others. That's a useful Christian. Last thing that we see about these servants is they knew what their master wanted because they knew their master. If you notice in the story that the master leaves his resources to them, but he never tells them what to do with it. Do you notice that? He never tells them what to do with it. So perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking of all the resources that God has entrusted you with and you're asking this question, well, what does God want me to do with these things? Right? As a student pastor, I have students that ask me this all the time. What should I do? Like, what does God want me to do with my life? Notice that he never tells them what to do with the money. They just knew what to do with it. And I believe the reason they knew what to do with it is because they knew their master. They knew that he valued his estate. They knew what he wanted because they knew him. These students that say, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online. I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. And the very next question I would ask you is, do you know the master? Do you know God? Do you know what he likes? Do you know what he desires? Because if so, then you know what he wants. I've learned that the more you know God, the more clarity you will have in how you can leverage your life for his glory. Our problem is that we is not that so much that we struggle to hear from God. Our problem is that we don't know who He is, because God has made His will very clear through Scripture. We exist to glorify Him and to make disciples. The question is, how are you going to use what He's given you to do that? We see the master's provision. We see the servant's response, and then we see the last thing is the master's verdict. Now, after a long time, verse nineteen, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And this is where we get to the heart of the parable. Remember, remember, remember that their eternity is not dependent on what they have done. Jesus is speaking within the context of his second coming. And this entire point that he is teaching on is, are you ready? How do you know that you're ready? So when he returned, the master came to the faithful servants and, he, and they showed him all that he had. Right? They said, hey, here's what I've done. Here's your, here is your, your, your talents. Here's, here's what you've given me. Now remember, our eternal standing is not based on what God has done. Or sorry, it's not based on what we have done for God. However, I would much rather stand before God with my hands full than with my hands empty. What does he say? He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Remember, the question is answered in this parable is how do we know that, we are, that we're ready to see Christ? Well, I ask you this too. How did the servants, or sorry, why did these servants invest and trade their money? Because they were never told to. They weren't being obedient to a command. I have, here's a question. When, when the master says, well done, good and faithful servant, is the servant good and faithful because they did what the master wanted them to do? Or did they do what the master wanted them to do because they were good and faithful? Track with me with that? You see, the point of this parable is not that we work for God. It's why do we work for God? Because there's a tendency for a lot of us to find our faith in the fact that we're busy for Jesus. That's not the point. Going on with the, with the other servant, we're almost done here, hang with me, the, old, the other servant, what does he say? He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. First and foremost, does that sound like Jesus? Reaping where he did not sow, being unjust, being cruel. No. So the servant's trying to say, well, I didn't do it because of this or because of this or because of that. But it's, it's not true. Because even the master says, well, if, you even, if that's what you thought, then you would have at least invested it with the bank, right? If you, had, you at least would have done this, ultimately you did nothing with it. But here's the thing. The servant wasn't commanded to do anything with it. So there's a tendency for us to read this and be like, well, what did he do wrong? He just didn't want to mess it up. There's two motivations in life. We're either motivated by love or motivated by fear. We're either afraid to fail or we love to succeed. You're either afraid to fail or you love to succeed. And as children of God, we do not serve him because we're afraid to fail. We serve him because we love the master. We love the master. You see, the reason that these were commended and this one was condemned was because their actions revealed where their love was. The unfaithful servant loved his safety, he loved his comfort, he loved what he had, and he wasn't going to risk it for anything, even the master. These other servants understood that everything that they had that was of any value came from the master, they love the master, and they want to serve the master. These servants did not keep anything that they were given, by the way. They were given it, they doubled it, and they gave it all right back. There's nothing to gain for them other than just the joy of knowing that they were faithful to their master. Matthew 12, 34 through 37. 
Jesus says to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your word, you will be justified, and by your word, you will be condemned. Mind you, it is not the things that we do that earns us salvation, but the things that we do reveal where our heart is. I want to be very clear this morning that people do not go to hell strictly because they have sinned. People go to hell because they reject Christ. Because heaven's filled with sinners. But it's filled with sinners that love Jesus and have been forgiven of their sins. You see, what we do is an overflow of who we are. And what we need is not to be servants who do all the right things. What we need is to be good servants. We are made good servants, not by being busy for Jesus, but we're made good servants when we acknowledge that everything we have is from him. We have nothing of value in ourselves. We cannot purchase a right standing before the master, but we stand before him and say, forgive me. God, I cannot earn what I need. But we want to serve because of what the master has done for us. If you're in this room and you're like, man, I, I, I want, here's the thing, get involved. One thing that's amazing of being about a church of this size is that it's not hard to find places to serve. Trust me, you want to hang out with some middle school students? Talk to me. I got you. It's not hard. And it's like, well, I don't have this. Hey, remember, it's about using what God has given you. And for me, it's teaching for you. Maybe it's just being present. Maybe it's being a part of the, you know, the go team and, and serving people in our community. Maybe it's being present and, and helping with the kids' ministry. This past Vacation Bible School, we had over 300 kids. That doesn't happen without people serving. Staycation, we're bursting at the seams. We need people to serve, but here's the thing. We don't need people to serve who are trying to earn a paycheck with Jesus. We need people who serve because they love the master. So what we need is we need to be changed. If you're in this room and you do not know the master, you need to know that there's not a greater master in the world than the master that is Jesus. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. God, I ask that as we pray as we reflect on the parable of the talents that God that we would understand that our standing before you is not based on our works not based on our deeds but strictly father it's based on what you've done for us but God because of what you have done for us God we ask that you help us to be faithful with what you've given God that we would not stand before you when we see you face to face with empty hands saying well I I I didn't know God we, your word says that we would stand before you without excuse God, we ask that our life would reflect what you've, done, what you've done for us. God, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you, God, I ask that today would be the day of salvation where they understand that we don't serve you because we're good enough. We serve you because you've made us good. You sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the punishment that we couldn't pay so that one day you could look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, we thank you for this time.
praise you in the name of your son, Jesus. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.